1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today. This is Hour 2 on Wednesday, the 15th of June, and it's just been already a wonderful first hour. I referenced it at the end of last hour that if you missed any part of that hour, you're going to want to go back and download... The podcast from MyFaithRadio.com. You can check it out at Mornings with Carmen show page. And looking forward to our next conversation, in which will be joined by Brandon Schulwalter of the Christian Post. Brandon and I are going to talk a bit about what it means to be fully pro-life in the midst of what seems to be ongoing wrangling back and forth at the Supreme Court. But how can Christians think about what it means to be fully pro-life? And we'll also cover quite a bit of the questions about how the church can engage with the LGBT community <clears throat> in a faithful way that that maintains our faith and yet is welcoming and open at the same time. And Paul Perot, we came into studio this morning and we did get a note from Scott Sauls. Yeah, <clears throat> and and Scott is somebody who's been a person invisible. Christian ministry, and, mm-hmm. and he runs in those kinds of circles, and he gave us a health update. I think many of our Faith Radio family probably knows the name Tim Keller and probably also knows that Tim Keller has been fighting a battle with cancer for some time. Yeah, and, stage uh, we, four pancreatic. Answer. Stage four pancreatic, and and that is one of the most difficult kinds of cancers, uh, of course, and it's something that, uh, Alex Trebek, the noted host of Jeopardy, just passed away from in the last couple of years as well, and and uh, this is Scott, Scott Saul's updates. It says, friends, Please pray for Tim Keller as he contends with some serious health complications. Pray also for Kathy, their three sons, and their grandchildren for the Lord's comfort and care. And out on Twitter, it sounds like uh, one of Timothy Keller's sons also gave this update that dad is currently dealing with the side effects of an immunotherapy treatment that he undergoing. We ask that you continue to pray for his healing and for guiding the decisions of his doctors and medical team who continue to provide excellent, compassionate care. Thank you for the outpouring of love and support. We deeply covet your prayers at this time. Michael Keller and uh, this Tim has just been one of those people that, mm-hmm. when when you just check his work over all these years as as a faithful servant, he is somebody who has had that unusual combination of being really visible and somebody mm-hmm. that is really well known, but also at the same time has has drank deeply from the well of this kingdom life. And and the way he talks about his faith in Jesus really brings a lot of hope because we know that unfortunately one of the truest things in this world is that death is present. Um, yeah. it's, it's present for all of us. It's it's 100% effective <laughs> in coming after the image bearers. And, uh, and it's right in that part when we strip away the illusion that uh, we can make a home in this world, that we can find our shalom in this world, that we can find... Uh, all the hope that we would ever want out of this world. that That is an illusion. It is a delusion. And in the midst of that illusion and delusion is where we find the heart of the good news of the gospel because Jesus went into those waters of death that was the representation, the expression of the curse of sin. He went into those waters of death willingly on that cross on that Friday night and he came out the other side on Easter Sunday being the one person who could take on the fullness of of the curse of sin and death and broke it open in its entirety. It's why I say often that that tomb is empty. It will be empty today. It will be empty tomorrow. It will be empty for every month and every year that is to come until he returns. And we cling to that hope. We walk in the hope and we manifest that hope in the world around us that even though we die, yet we live because there is a resurrection power at work in us. And regardless of how the next few days and weeks and months and possibly years for Tim Keller go, Um, He is somebody who has walked in that hope and manifested us and encourages us to do that daily in the world around us as we are people not of the delusion, but of the truth of hope. And certainly Brandon Showalter characterizes that as well. And we'll be having a conversation next on Mornings Without Carmen. Well, Brandon Showalter, you probably heard some of the news about Timothy Keller, too. I don't know if uh, this is nearing the end or if there'll be some recovery here, but I appreciate that Paul Perot uh, started us out with some Andrew Peterson and um, the, the Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. This is the good news that we profess.
2: Amen. Uh, Timothy Keller, I've, I've appreciated him. I've interviewed him a few times with the Christian Post. It's, it's quite a battle. I can't imagine pancreatic cancer. It sounds terrible, but we do indeed have hope in the Lord
1: Jesus Christ. We do. We, we are an eternal, immortal community of people, the first fruits of the resurrection, uh, following Jesus in that way. And Brandon, we appreciate the work you do for the Christian Post. I know that you have been talking a bit about what it means to be fully pro-life. So when I say that, that word or that phrase, pro-life, what are some of the first things that come to mind?
2: Well, I think the phrase fully pro-life does uh, regard um, the dignity of the human person. It does regard the dignity of human life. From conception to natural death and in the context of the abortion debate uh, what you're referring to I think uh, is an article that I wrote that has sort of been an interesting debate going on back and forth among Southern Baptists and of course they're in the course of their annual meeting today uh, and yesterday and today Um, and I haven't quite seen if they've passed the resolution that was um, they probably did that was before them about Anticipating the upcoming ruling in the Dobbs versus Jackson case, wherein it's very likely that Roe versus Wade will be overturned, but in in the context of being fully pro-life, there's been a debate. There was a debate last year about uh, what they m- might call abolitionism versus uh, incrementalism, and that's the question of how do you approach the law and public policy in order to guarantee um, the preservation of you know, most human life as much as possible. And so there's a debate over strategy that um, it was a very interesting debate because very prominent Southern Baptist ethicists dissented from a pro-life resolution last year because it contained some language that seemed to cast aspersions a little bit on the incrementalist approach where the abolitionists, as they call them, or people who lean in that direction said that uh, it's just they – They've sort of poo-pooed this approach of making as much legal gains as possible with the goal is saving as many unborn children as possible. It's quite a thorny. It's quite a thorny discussion. But it was interesting to see it manifest there within the nation's largest Protestant denomination.
1: Yeah, maybe Brandon it would be helpful to further define those terms because there is this strategic right. tug of war between incrementalism and uh, abolitionism uh, as an approach, as a strategy to this Roe versus Wade and abortion. So just define those two terms for us
2: incrementalism is the the strategy within the pro life movement that has been sort of the mainstream approach um, where you're working to you know incrementally make gains pass good laws try to get good judges on various courts in order to uh incrementally uh move toward a day where we see uh no uh, the abortion being you know, unthinkable but also Illegal in almost every circumstance. I think most pro-lifers Will say that the only time that it is ethical from a Christian standpoint Catholic and Protestant alike have been is when you have like a serious Physical health situation of the mother where the mom's going to die or there's going to be some very serious complication Um, and so that is the only time when You may need to take the baby in some one of those kinds of situations the abolitionist, what, what is called abolitionism, is uh, critical of that approach because there are times when it seems that incremental, incrementalists sort of compromise in order to sort of preserve a couple of things, and uh, and they just say that the goal is to end abortion now, immediately try to pass a law to abolish it. Anything less than that is compromise. They've they've got some other points of view, but it's um, it's It's interesting I, part of me wonders if it's just if that view, which is I still think mostly on the fringe within the American you know politics, is just out of frustration after seeing you know almost forty nine years here since roe versus wade the the slow pace of all of that um but uh within the Southern Baptist Convention, I think um it, most of them are still of the incrementalist view, and it's a shame to see conflict arise over that, particularly at a moment when we would very likely see um, what many have been praying for, the reversal of one of what I believe is the worst Supreme Court decisions in history, which is Roe versus Wade, which sanctioned the killing of the unborn. Um, So right at the moment where we could very well see that reversed, there's this conflict that resurges again, and that's unfortunate in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Chatting with Brandon Showalter of the Christian Post this morning about some of the forthcoming decisions uh, from the Supreme Court about Roe versus Wade and and the strategic tug of war uh, of how to handle that legally. And Brandon, we'd be remiss to not at least mention that the Southern Baptist Convention has certainly wielded a lot of social and legal influence over these past uh, 20, 30, 40, maybe even longer years. But there is quite a bit of scandal that had come out of the SBC here recently. Um, are they? Are, have they lost some credibility even in how they're approaching this? I'm not meaning to pile on them, but I don't know what even influence they're able to wield at this point.
2: A scandal over abortion? Could you clarify?
1: Well, a scandal over some of the, the sexual immorality accusations oh, among some of the leadership. Yeah. yeah, right.
2: It's Oh, boy, that's a minefield. Yes, the, the there was a the big guidepost report which detailed how over the years there was clear mishandling of sexual abuse cases and you know, a list of, you know, pre- potentially predatory but also very predatory people and former Southern Baptist president who had been sexually exploitative and had done all sorts of things, it is it is quite sorry to see um, that happen in, in any church where I think a lot of people expect sexual exploitation and abuse to happen. In Hollywood or in the business world but the one place they would hope it would never be would be the church and there's just such a wound there when uh, people are especially if it's done at the hands of clergy victims who experience that kind of thing have a very hard time disentangling the abuse they experience from God and so there's just that extra degree of horror that happens when there's abuse that happens within the church context it's so I can't imagine how it just it grieves the heart of God and those victims uh, certainly need our support. But yes, the Southern Baptists really are dealing with all of that. And I think we'll continue to for the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah. And there certainly are a lot of good people who are part of that organization that have really oh, done absolutely. a lot of great kingdom work. It just, it's just oh, tricky right now. Right. I mean, there's so much of that happening and, people's lives well let's leave that conversation there for now we'll take a short break and come back and talk a little bit about what you're seeing you wrote a great article about you're seeing some unifying um, realities among different denominations and church groups and how to think through and walk with people in the lgbtq community it's brandon show of the christian post we'll be back in about 90 seconds with more
0: you're my defender
1: Nineteen minutes past the top of the hour on the 15th of June this Wednesday morning, chatting with Brandon Showalter of The Christian Post. Brandon, we just had a listener text in asking where they can find your work and some of the articles that we're talking about this morning.
2: Well, my at ChristianPost.com, I think you can enter that into the search bar and then slash Brandon Showalter, I'm pretty sure that will get you there.
1: Yeah, once again, it's ChristianPost.com, and just check out Brandon Showalter there. It's great work. And Brandon, you released an article recently that is titled, God is Unifying the Body of Christ in Ministry to LGBT People, the Freedom March Leaders Say. So it was an incredible report on what you're seeing. Maybe just give us first a flyover view, and then we'll get into it a bit more.
2: Yes, well, it's— It is quite something. It uh, this was uh, the Freedom March, which is an event that I've started covering since it started a few years ago. It was started by a man who lived both as a trans-identified person who was in prostitution, and he, I mean, he had such an incredible encounter with the Holy Spirit, which um, they all where, where he where he came to himself and realized that he needed to follow. The Lord and threw away all of his female clothes and just has been walking with God ever since um, but he decided that he wanted to do something um, he felt God calling him to do what it says that phrase in Colossians where it talks about how Jesus do, you know disarmed the authorities and made a public spectacle of them on the cross he said well I'm going to take my testimony and gather the testimonies of other people who have lived and identified among the LGBT And that we have encountered the lord and we're going to go to these cities and declare what jesus has done for us in our lives and how he's brought restoration to us and we've left this life behind and then they march through the city in order to make a public spectacle of those who would just say that oh you're you really weren't lgbt after all or whatever and so that it's always such an encouraging event but you see people encountering the lord from all traditions and it's every Time I've gone, and I've only gone in D.C. I've seen Catholics and Baptists and Pentecostals. The whole body of Christ is there, gathering around these precious people who share some really vulnerable, hard stuff. But how the Lord has continued to 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 set them free and minister to them, and it's just these are some of the bravest, most courageous people I've ever met.
1: Yeah, brave and courageous, it hardly begins to describe it, right? Because the the social pressures and the energy to conform into a certain way of life and thinking, I I think we underestimate it when we're not necessarily day in and day out part of the LGBTQ community. But Brandon, you've been on the front end of this uh, for quite some time. And I think one of the things that's worth talking about, and we can maybe just touch on it now, but it'd be worth a a much more extended conversation, is that when you talk about setting people free, that can be a, a controversial topic. But Mm -hmm. I think what what science, you don't even have to be a person of scripture, what science reveals is that we are making fixed identity statements based on transient human experiences. And what I mean by that is people are generally and and genuinely experiencing dysphoria in their gender, meaning they think they're mismatched in their body, or they're having attractions that seem to be sexual in origin towards same gender, whatever it is. But, But these are transient experiences often, as real as they are, they very much are, but to to take those experiences and make them fixed identity statements, oof, that that gets to be tricky. You can't be set free from that if they're fixed identities. If this is who you are, which is the common narrative, th- right. then then what are you being set free from? Shouldn't we just be embraced and these are really tricky and difficult issues.
2: They are for sure. And I think I mean there's a couple things that I think need to be said because it is it is a battle that I don't think anybody can afford to lose. If this is a battle over who you are, That's a lot at stake. But the glorious news of the gospel, in my view, is that we aren't modernists. You know, we are not defined by the sum total of our experiences. We are defined because of who we are in Jesus Christ. And it's that (laughs) so sometimes people ask these people who have left behind LGBT, well, do you still feel this? Do you hear it's like they say, I'm a child of God. They have Mm -hmm. a totally different concept of who they are. And that is such a huge revelation, because if we just subject ourselves to thinking within these kinds of actually very rigid categories of, you know, well, we have to call ourselves this because, you know, that means this and this and this. It's like, you know, it's a whole new way of thinking when you embrace the gospel, because even if you do feel things or have these, you know, inclinations or feelings or dysphoria or whatever, it's like in Jesus, all of that is transformed. None of that continues to be the defining aspect of who we are anymore and you know it's it's a new life and yes it's a struggle yes there is suffering yes there is hardship as people walk out their healing and as they walk out their faith in jesus but um i think that is one of the most um liberating things about the gospel is that it totally redefines who we are and we don't have to live in these uh these categories that really are i think so limiting and it it doesn't take into account the breadth of what the Lord can do in our lives. And so, yeah, I don't, I think that's especially true with the, you know, goodness, Peter, there's how many different 70 plus so-called gender identities now. It's like none of these, you know, identity labels or constructs, none of this nomenclature actually works to describe things because it's just so, it's just woefully inadequate and insufficient. It it can't capture um, identity, who we really are. Uh, So I just think maybe the futility of all of that is starting to collapse as we see sort of cultural spin into complete chaos. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting thing to watch the fallout in the next couple of years as I believe we're facing a reckoning with some of this insanity that seems to be manifesting, especially during the month of June. But Jesus is the answer, to put it. Put it
1: plainly. <laughs> yeah, and I, not to I,
2: sound trite no, right? You
1: no, know, it's really, it really is true. It, it really is true. And Brandon, I appreciate how you bring that up, and especially when you were use that word healing. I think one of the um, ways in which we've tried to equip people on this journey is we just assume if somebody prays hard enough, they're going to be fine the next morning. But the journey of healing, oh, yeah. you know, we, the, the church has such yeah. a thin view too often of what the transformation journey can look like, and to walk alongside of people for even sometimes a lifetime, because th- this is not God waves a magic wand and everything is fine. I I don't care what dimension of life we're talking about. God is not the God of the genie in the bottle where you pray and then he just moves in a certain kind of way all the time. And I think we expect that, but we just need to trust the shepherd to do the healing that the shepherd's going to do in the timing mm-hmm. that the shepherd's going to do it, right?
2: That's totally right. And the timing of God is, I think, probably one of the hardest things to deal with in life for any follower of Jesus worth his salt. It's it's trusting in that timing. And, you know, one person's journey, it's not as though God can't do things very quickly, but one person's journey may take five years, another takes six. And why is it not the same? I don't know, but it's all part of what God's doing in the life of every person, and he knows what he's doing. And so trust in the course of the process is, I think, the journey of faith we all take if we're serious about following him
1: Hmm. amen brandon i love it if uh you want to catch more of brandon's work you're going to want to head to christianpost.com brandon showalter brandon we have some people asking questions about the articles and and uh, the people involved in the articles and what you're doing so we'll keep sending them your way we've got to leave it here for now though i'd love to have another hour with you on this conversation
2: well thank you peter good to be with you again
1: yeah great to hear your voice we'll take a short break and preview what's coming up in the last half of hour two of mornings without carmen So we've covered quite a few important and perhaps uh, heavy conversations this morning uh, across the board from LGBTQ issues to the future of young people in Christendom to difficult situations around the world with Ruth Kramer as she was taking us into some of the headlines in places like Bangladesh and Tunisia. So maybe it's time for a little lighter fare. And Paul Perot, as you are wont to do on a weekly basis, you looped Carmen and I into a email chain last night with an elephant named Happy. So tell us about that headline. <laughs> well, okay. There
0: there was, I think it's in New York, there are people fighting for the personhood and the, and the human rights of an elephant at a... Uh, <laughs> At a zoo. Well, the New York court said no. Happy the elephant... It does not have human rights. Rema- remains a, a pachyderm. Yeah, 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 yeah. At
1: least we haven't lost all the sense of sanity when it comes to distinguishing who we are as image bearers. Amazing that we even just had that conversation. Well, I'm looking forward to the next guest, uh, James Brian Smith. If you listen regularly when I'm on with Carmen or on Bill Arnold's show in the afternoon, I am somebody who has very much appreciated the writings of Dallas Willard over the years. And author James Brian Smith has released a book called The Good and Beautiful. You discovering the person Jesus created you to be, and he's in the tradition of Dallas Willard about what it means to be in an ongoing journey of transforming our soul. Welcome back to Mornings Without Carmen. Peter Kapsner filling in for today and we are joined by author James Brian Smith this morning. He's released a book called The Good and Beautiful You Discovering the Person Jesus Created You To Be. Good morning, James. Hey, good morning. It's great to have you. It's fun to even just chat before getting on air here together a little bit about some of the traditional understandings of somebody like a Dallas Willard, but other people too who have been in, in this long river of Christian faith that uh, that takes discipleship seriously and and specifically, James, I would say, comes from an understanding that our behavior in life flows from what's actually going on in our hearts. Our hearts are understood to be the place where our values are, where our attitudes are where our dispositions are, and, and this is that mysterious, though, real work that Jesus does in us, where he, in an ongoing way through his Spirit, actually transforms our hearts, uh, and from that, our behavior flows. So I know that you think in these terms and write in these terms, but it's really helpful to get us out of a gritted teeth version of discipleship, where we try to white-knuckle our way through it, and we're actually being transformed from the inside out.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you you just named that perfectly. You know, Galatians 4.19 is one of the touchstone verses where Paul says, I'm at labor until Christ is formed in you. And that's, I think the the goal of the Christian life is that Christ would be formed in us, that we would be uh, reflections of Christ, that the life of Christ would be in us. Paul used the the phrase in Christ or Christ in us 89 times. And so as a Christ follower, that's how I identify. I, I just say, I'm Jim in whom Christ dwells and delights. And I wanna reflect the character of Christ in my own character. In order to do that, I need uh, a process. I need a, a method that will help me grow. And that involves the spiritual disciplines. It involves working on my narratives. Who, who is God? Who am I? Um, it inv- involves community. Uh, it's not just something, as you said, you, that you white knuckle or grit your teeth and it happens. It, it, but there is a, a way to happen to make it happen. There's a method.
1: Yeah, I've I've heard the phrase "reliable pathways of ongoing formation." Uh, the, those, the the ways in which we walk day in and day out. But boy, the rigors of discipleship—it's not easy, right? I mean, we we would love to have a quick prayer on a Tuesday night and be utterly changed by Wednesday morning in so many ways, but that's not necessarily how this works.
0: It's not. It's a it's, it's a long, slow process. But there is a, and Dallas used the phrase a, a reliable pattern that if if we do work on setting our minds on things above if we do work on giving uh, space for grace for god to work in our lives and that would be through the disciplines like worship and solitude silence prayer scripture um, having as i said a community that supports us and you know if you do it the real change happens but you're right it's slow it's not easy it's not quick and It's not really the American way.
1: (laughs) And and you start out the book just with something that seems self-evident to me and James, but um, when further look at it, it, it really isn't because I think people are skeptical of anything that they can't actually see increasingly. So we only trust that, which we can see, but you start out your book with this idea that we have a soul and the soul is not something you can actually taste or touch or feel, but, but it's real nonetheless. So what do you mean by we have a soul and how would you describe that?
0: Yeah, you know, we use the word soul a lot. We talk about soul music and soul food and soul mates. It's a part of our language, but we rarely really try to understand what is it? You know, what is that, this, the soul? And so for most of us, it's like some deep place within us. But historically and certainly biblically, um, the soul is really important. It's, it is, as you said, it's a non-physical substance or reality. So I can't slice you open and find your soul. But you, ha- you are a soul. You have a soul, and it's an embodied soul that's really important as Christians. Um, the Greek concept was that the soul was better off without a body. But as Christians, we, we affirm the importance of the body. Jesus had a body. Jesus still has a body. <laughs> we'll have bodies in the next version, um, a new tent, as Paul said. So uh, but yeah, the soul is that that part of us that uh, is kind of an integrating, operating, animating system in our life. And uh, it's it's extremely crucial. Um, we have to care for our souls. If we don't, uh, we'll pay the price.
1: And, and it's from our souls and from our hearts, those steering mechanisms that we do experience life, uh, James. And and so just if we if we land the plane on this a bit, if I'm a person, let's just say hypothetically that I struggle with being patient. <laughs> and uh, And so when I'm faced with circumstances around me, whether it be at work or people around me, And before I even think about it, I am experiencing the whole thing through impatience, lack of patience. I'm agitated. Uh, I might get a little bit depressed. I might uh, blow up somebody else because I'm impatient. All of that is happening. Now, I can try to moderate that. I can try to put a lid on my impatience. But the Christian invitation is actually that whatever is causing that impatience in my soul to be expressed in my body, that we begin to work with Jesus through his spirit to to transform that impatient soul to one that is patient. So then when faced with the same circumstances, I'm somehow acting very differently.
0: Oh, I couldn't have said that better myself if I had an, an hour. Well said. But, you know, you said a key word there. You said train. And and it, so much of the Christian life is, is trying. And, and it's, we think, oh, if I just try harder. It's, it's not trying. It's training. Uh, we, we, an athlete wants to achieve some goal. They don't just try. They train. And the same thing, Paul used athletic metaphors uh, quite a lot in his epistles. The process works that way. Um, If I want to be more patient, there's a way that that can happen. It's not going to be by gritting my teeth and trying. It's going to be by rearranging my life, uh, understanding the world that I live in that's basically a God-bathed world, that I'm living in the strong and unshakable kingdom that is never in trouble. And when I begin to see that's where I live, that's going to change and practices like slowing down uh, creating mar- margin in my life those kinds of practices make me more present and less susceptible to um, to impatience mm-hmm.
1: talking with author james bryan smith this morning the book is the good and beautiful you discovering the person jesus created you to be i highly recommend uh, getting this book for those people who really want to experience some some ongoing change in their life it's just a really good road map roadmap and a variety of ways and you talked about slowing down James I was talking to somebody earlier this morning that was part of the show and he used the phrase unhurried conversations we are just so hurried going from one thing to the next to the next and i think covid as devastating as it was globally for so many people and it was just that it, it has been devastating on so many levels uh, it did force a slowing down, and, and I'm starting to note as the world is opening up that the speed with which traffic is traveling, the speed with which um, social media is traveling, the speed of vocation, again, all of those things are starting to pick up. And that that kind of life really mitigates against what you're describing, which is we need to live in these unhurried ways in order to to walk in soul transformation.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you can't do anything important in the spiritual life in a hurry. You can't love in a hurry. You can't listen in a hurry. You can't pray in a hurry and so hurry is i mean dallas would often say it's the the number one spiritual sickness in our in our culture is is hurry sickness and there are ways to combat that and so the first practice that i actually have in the book in the very first chapter uh is called holy leisure which is doing nothing for that's, god's sake That's you speaking my language doing nothing
1: i love it james yeah take us into you that do nothing,
0: comma for god's sake okay, so you, fair you enough. Do nothing for god's sake how you say it is important but but uh yeah it's it, and it's simply saying look 5 10 15 minutes whatever you can do just just be don't don't do anything don't accomplish anything it's actually a really hard practice it's harder than it seems it seems like it would be really easy but uh, having people just say hey take 15 minutes and do nothing is a huge challenge but boy our soul really responds to that
1: yeah, it does. I find myself too often using the language of I just need to get through, meaning I need to get through this day or I need to get through this week or I need to get through this season. But uh, when when you have a get through life, you suddenly come to the end of your life and think, well, I got through life and now what? <laughs> and, yeah. and so as opposed to what you're describing, which you're actually present to your day by taking the, this holy leisure in the midst of your day.
0: Right. Yeah. And then you can be presence where you are because your soul operates at a certain speed. And as you've already mentioned, uh, our culture is just operates at a very fast pace and the soul gets left in the dust and, and then our soul suffer. And then we seek ways to numb it or entertain it or something. But, but if we can just be still and be present, uh, our soul, that's, that's the speed at which it operates and, and it will begin to flourish.
1: James, uh, we're going to step away for about 90 seconds or so, but when we come back, I want to get into chapter 3 of your book a bit, which is titled You Are Desired, and there's a soul training exercise that you have titled Lectio Divina. I'm guessing the many p- people in our Faith Radio family have heard of this, and many have not, but I think it's a very helpful way with which we can engage listening to the voice of God in the Scriptures. This is James Brian Smith. We'll be back here shortly. And in the
0: quiet pride of my father,
1: It's about 13 minutes before the top of the hour. We're chatting with James Brian Smith, the book, The Good and Beautiful You. Many of you have already been texting the word book into studio at 877-933-2484. We have about three copies of this book that we can give away. So if you'd like a copy of the book, I do highly recommend it. It gets into reliable pathways, reliable rhythms, spiritual practices in which our hearts can begin to experience the transformation promised to us in Ephesians 4. So once again, Text the word book to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. And Jim, in chapter three, you use this word or this phrase Lectio Divina. This was something that was very unfamiliar to me. I was somebody who has read the scriptures more from a knowledge and intellectual standpoint, and that is unbelievably important. We need to continue to do that. But there's an ancient practice that's persisted in the Church for hundreds, if not even over a thousand years, called Lectio Divina as a way of also engaging with God's Word. Tell us about this.
0: Yeah, It's a Latin phrase. It means divine reading. And it's a way of approaching the Scriptures to um, not just look for information, but for formation. So we want to, in Lectio Divina, to read the Scriptures slowly, uh, take a a small passage, uh, maybe five verses or at most or something, and, and read it slowly and, and repetitively and just try to listen to see if a word or phrase is kind of highlighted or magnified, stands out in some way, and then pray about that and say, you know, what, what are you speaking to me? You know, ask the Spirit to give you insight. And it's it's a very powerful um, practice because you're inviting the Holy Spirit to speak directly to you through the Scriptures uh, which are already inspired, right? God, the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures. Now the Holy Spirit is inspiring the scripture in your personal situation. Very, very powerful practice. I use it in this book um, to focus on a few passages that speak directly to um, the fact that we are divinely designed beings, that God knew us before the foundation of the world and that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And uh, so f- to get people to begin hearing that word of the spirit, that that I am a sacred being is is the point of it.
1: Yeah, I think the first time that I ever was exposed to this particular practice, uh, Jim, was in a circle of about nine or ten people. And and I love to practice Lectio Divina in a community like that because we used used Psalm 23 as the passage uh, around which we rallied. And we just sat and somebody read Psalm 23 and then they read it again and read it a third time. And the invitation was to see, was there any word or phrase from Psalm 23 that seemed to really jump out to you in your mind, uh, sort of? shimmer in front of you as it were and and then you're um invited to journal about those things and talk about those things and what i found fascinating was 10 people in the room experiencing the same passage of scripture for some it might have been through the shadows of death for some it it might have been uh, by quiet waters for some it might be preparing a table it was just really interesting to see what all emerged from that practice
0: yeah i love group lectio yeah exactly for that reason because you're going look we're looking at the same passage but the holy spirit knows each of us uniquely and 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 knows our, our needs better than we know our own. And isn't that a it's a beautiful thing about doing that as it with a group? Because you're just you're reminded, like, wow, God is speaking to the person next to me uh in a in a personal, individual
1: way. Yeah, very powerful. It is powerful. We're talking with James Bryan Smith. Again, the book is the good and beautiful you. We've got three copies of it to give away. Just text the word book into studio here at eight seven seven nine three three two four. Eight four, Jim. Later on in the book, you talk about uh, this phrase: "You have been made holy." But then the subtext for that, you say, "Say yes to God always." What are we talking about in terms of holiness and and the invitation to continue to say yes?
0: Yeah, one of the interesting things about um, being a Christian is that we have been made holy. Uh, Paul addresses most all of his letters, like to the saints at Corinth, for example. And we know when we read the letter, they're not very saintly in their behavior. <laughs> So what is Paul doing there? But what Paul's saying is the word saint means I've I've been set apart. I'm a special, like you would take a lamp stand, for example, and that would be sacred. It would be set apart for for sacred use. That's who we are as Christians. We're we're, um, set apart for sacred use. And when we understand that reality, that this is my fundamental identity, um, then we become the kind of person who wants to say yes to God who wants to uh, to say, Lord, where, where, do you, where are you taking me this moment? I want to say yes to that um, because I'm not laboring to make myself holy. I am holy by virtue of the work of Christ, but I want to live in holiness. I want to practice it in my life. And at the center of that is not religious rules, but actually
1: learning how to say yes to God. Can you say more about that, James? I think that's really important because I think for many of us, to be a disciple means that we need to first understand the rules given to us in Scripture, like that version of understanding Scripture, and then we need to, through duty, try to practice those rules and, and maybe in community be encouraged to do all of those rules. But being a disciple, I think, has an entirely different invitation into it. You're, you're describing something different here about what it means to be a follower of Jesus besides just trying to obey a series of rules. Yeah,
0: that's the fundamental issue is that we're not under the law. we're li- We live under grace. That doesn't mean the law is is of no value. Paul was clear about that. That the grace and the work of Christ doesn't mean that the Ten Commandments are to be thrown out the at the window. They're no value. It just means that's not how I'm learning. That's not how I'm justifying my existence is by keeping these rules. Um, this is who I am, and now I want to say so on the basis of who I am. How do I live? And so for for Paul, uh, uh, ethics always follows identity. We don't mm. want to get those. Backwards, we tend to say, you know, I I am who I am by the basis of what I do. Paul would say, this is who you are, and therefore this is how you live. Um, ethics flow out of identity, and you just don't want to get those backwards.
1: You now the book is again the good and beautiful you. You can text the word book. Many of you are doing just that to eight seven seven nine three three. 2484. If you text the word book, we uh, will enter you into a drawing. We've got three copies of this book to give away. And Jim, uh, one more topic from your book, I think is important, especially in light of the news this morning, that it sounds like Timothy Keller, a well-known pastor and theologian, his health has potentially taken a turn for the worse. At least there's uh, the request for prayers for what's going on with his immunotherapy. And we talked Mm -hmm. at the top of this hour a bit about the fact that something that is true for all of us in this world is that death is coming for every one of us. And and it's right in the midst of that, uh, that that terrible news that the good news lives and transcends and overcomes because Jesus went through those waters of death. And so our tears are going to be wiped away at some point in our uh, in the future, but not in this life. It's in the life to come. And so you end your book talking about you will be glorified and the soul training of celebration. We are, are meant to be people of the future in the present. So take us into that a bit more
0: yeah well, thanks for sharing that news. I hadn't heard that about Tim um yeah that is that is the reality, but we uh, as Paul said in um uh, first thessalonians we we grieve, but we grieve with hope mm-hmm. and and hope is is certainty in a good future, and that good future has been established by the resurrection of Jesus, not wishful thinking. so um I'm a Christ follower because the risen Christ has entered into my life, and that same Christ is my uh, that the first fruits of that right the, of of this future harvest that i will be glorified, you will be glorified and we will we will live forever and and reign with him. So that's you know hope is is crucial for our lives and um it's one of the big three, right faith, hope and love but but hope is is faith in our future that that good things are on the other side of it and the resurrection is at the center. and um, that's i end the book with that because ultimately, that's where our confidence lies, hmm.
1: Jim. We got to leave it right thing, But uh, this is a great book. Do you have any other uh, work in the works right now? Any other books coming out soon?
0: No, no. I mean, I've got some projects I'm working on, but no this this was a this was a long one to get this one <laughs> birthed, and uh, I'm just enjoying the fact today's the actual launch date. Today's the actual day the book's been released. So it's fun to be with you guys.
1: Yeah, sure. Glad you could join us on this. Uh, One last time, the book is The Good and Beautiful You. We do have three copies of this to give away. Just text the word book to studio at 877-933-2484. James, thanks for the great work and have a great rest of the day. Thank you. We'll take a short break and we'll wrap up our show here for the 15th of June on Mornings with Carmen. going to wrap up the show this morning the same way that we wrapped it up yesterday it just bears mentioning again this beautiful passage in revelation 21 this is a glimpse of our future in which we can live in the presence and in which john writes this i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea saw a holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying look God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write this down. It is trustworthy and true. I am the Alpha, and I am the Omega. The tomb is empty, everyone. It will be empty today, tomorrow, and for every day yet to come until our beautiful bridegroom comes to collect collect us as his bride. Appreciate the time with you on Mornings with Carmen. We'll see you tomorrow morning.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way, you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.